This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Recently, President Biden made the ambitious statement that he wanted to see half of all new vehicles sold by the year 2030 to be electric. Do the math. That's about eight and a half years away. The executive order also proposed new vehicle emission standards, and the big three automakers said that they aspired to reach 40 to 50% of auto sales being electric by that 2030 date. With more on uh, if this is all possible, pleasure to be joined once again by John Paul McDuffie, Wharton Management Professor, whose focus is uh, really on the auto industry. And John Paul, great to talk with you. Hope you're doing well. Thanks, Dan. Good to talk to you. Yeah, so this is obviously, I think, a, a number, that, the 15% number is one that's being talked about a lot. Uh, the question yep. is, with where we are right now in 2021, is that 50% feasible, or as the automakers are saying, is it more in the neighborhood of 40 to 50%? Yeah, I, I think three things to say about this executive order. It's ambitious, very ambitious. Um, it is aspirational, and it's talked about that way, and it's non-binding. So it's uh, a goal that is being set to indicate policy direction and policy, you know, I I guess enthusiasm or or intensity. Uh, There's probably some people who say it's just impossible uh, on both the supply and the demand side. I guess I would say it's probably more attainable on the supply side as long as all the automakers keep to their announced product plans to release new EVs. Actually, the numbers could bring it as high as 50%. But the demand side, of course, is, is what we know is the toughest, um, consumer reluctance, charging infrastructure. And that's where, you know, the automakers are saying we need a lot of government policy support for this, maybe subsidies for purchases, certainly help getting charging infrastructure into difficult places. And uh, we'll see how much support for EVs comes out of all the things Congress is doing right now. Well, and realistically, I think the, the charging infrastructure may be the biggest uh, biggest piece to this right now. And certainly we're seeing that grow uh, incrementally uh, out in the public when you think about, you know, seeing charging stations as, at malls and, and places. But really, I, I think you need to have more of an adoption uh, to be able to have the charging infrastructure at people's homes so that people feel like that they can charge their car and do so while they're in their home cooking dinner or, or doing something else. They don't have to be sitting around waiting for that, uh, that charge to be completed. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and range anxiety, as it's often called, is, is you know, it's, it's psychological. It's in the eye of the beholder. The range of the batteries in this newer generation of EVs, you know, easily approaches or exceeds 300 miles. So that covers a lot of people's daily commuting needs for sure. Right. Um, I think the home charging is the key. And of course, a lot of people who live in the suburbs or live in rural areas are keeping their vehicles at home to put in a, a, a 220 line, the same kind of line you'd have for a, a, a dryer, for example, will get you charging in, in you know, overnight pretty, pretty easily. And also the electric companies are likely to charge less for charging use of electricity in the nighttime when the, when the demand is low. So that could cover quite a lot of people. Then if the government support for charging infrastructure really targets the places that are harder to do or the places that would give this a kind of boost in terms of consumer confidence, let's say, for long trips. So 
if yeah. rest stops on interstate highways and gas stations on the interstates were really amply supplied, if you had, uh, you know, multi-unit apartment buildings where there was government subsidy for getting those outfitted, uh, that would help a lot. But the home charging is the high potential for making a lot of people able to access this type of vehicle. So let me touch on that travel piece for a moment, if you can. And, uh, you know, we uh, live here in Pennsylvania, and I know that the the, uh, the Pennsylvania Turnpike has added charging infrastructure. I believe they've done it on the New Jersey Turnpike and other uh, elements as well. Uh, yep. I, I would ask you, though, where that's concerned around the the time frame of charging, because I think, you know, what's the expectation right now of the length of time it takes to charge? And, and is that at the right kind of formula right now when you're thinking about that component of charging, of being on a trip and not having to wait 30 minutes uh, at a rest stop to be able to get that done? Yeah, it certainly depends on the type of charger it is. And when I was talking about home charging, you know, with the 220 uh, circuit, being overnight, uh, that's not the kind of circuit you're going to find at a rest area or a gas station on the interstate. That would be a so-called supercharger. You know, 20 or 30 minutes is the length, assuming that people could get onto a charger the minute they arrive. You know, you stop, you get a snack, you have a meal, you use the bathrooms. It's maybe not that outside of the range of what people would be willing to to do. Uh, It's really pretty much impossible as far as I know to get charging times that are much less than that at this point. And certainly all the Tesla owners who are using dedicated Tesla chargers, that's about the best uh, that they can get. Now, if you've got your vehicle that has been kept regularly charged and you're just topping off, you know, it may not take that much time. And so you could do a lot of short stops potentially to, to get there. But obviously this is the issue that concerns people most people have to be willing to make some change in their, quote, refueling habits to uh, go with this new technology. Well, and again, as you said, this is not a binding uh, uh, executive order at this point. So we still have the expectation that we're going to have gas-powered vehicles out there for a significant period of time. And I guess to a degree, that's why the, the administration is also focusing on things like emission standards and cafe standards as well in terms of mileage. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to keep the entire industry and the transport sector moving towards reduction in carbon emissions is the overarching goal. And EVs are just perhaps the fastest way to bend that curve and make some progress on emissions reductions. But having people shift from older used cars to newer cars, from traditional gasoline engines to hybrids, all of that helps. Um, the CAFE standards also seem to be designed in some of the new announcements that have been made, so they don't kick in heavily for a couple of years. I think the automakers have argued that the, uh, the profits that they're earning on the larger vehicles now are a lot of what's going to help pay for the R&D to, and, the, and the product development for these new vehicles. Um, yeah. We've obviously had a lot of back and forth in the policy on this from the Obama standards that were then reversed by Trump and that have now been reversed again by Biden. So they're saying, give us a little bit of time. Uh, But they become much more stringent, I think, as of 2025, 2026, ramping up to 2030. And at that point, they start to approach the EU 
you know, yeah. China's been the world's largest EV market for a few years now, but in 2020, the EU actually surpassed EV sales in China, and it was mostly driven by these tougher emission standards where the EU has really been the world pace setter. So I, I guess it, 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 the best way to categorize this is at least the move being made by the Biden administration is at least an attempt to give this a, a, a bigger nudge to move it forward here over the next decade. Yes, I think it's an effort to really get a bunch of momentum uh, behind it. It's the same reason that some of the big automakers from, you know, GM and Ford to Volkswagen, Volvo, you know, they're making these very ambitious announcements about their plans for their products. And it's the reason for some of the ambitious claims of how much charging infrastructure can change. You know, let's, let's try to break through the kind of chicken and egg worry about, you know, range anxiety and, and charging that has held this back, try to get a virtuous cycle where more and more people make the decision to go forward. There's more charging infrastructure. People see their neighbors with these vehicles. They figure out how they can do it at home. And you get a sort of positive momentum that really makes the adoption curve much steeper. That's where we'd see the biggest gains in terms of climate. And maybe it's where we finally see a, a tipping point in terms of the public perception of these vehicles. Thanks, uh, John Paul. Uh, yeah, we'll certainly stay in touch with you on this because this is a continuing story, a developing one that, that we'll be talking about quite a bit over uh, the next uh, several months and years. Thanks, John Paul. All the best. Absolutely. A continuing story. Thanks, Dan. Great to talk to you. Thank you. John Paul McDuffie, Wharton Management Professor, focusing on the auto industry. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.